Um, what I want to share today, I've shared a couple of times um, in 17 years, and um, if I can just say that it, um, it does uh, hit a whole lot of holy cows um, and scatters your field quite badly, and you have to like gather all the cows. Some of them shouldn't be there, so uh, let them go. But So I want to just say up front, um, I'm in no ways in a, in a short amount of time um, trying to unpack something that's a lifetime of revelation and ongoing understanding of Jesus. Um, you can't do that in 45 minutes, so um, <laughs> if you're lucky, if I, if I, if I preach 45 minutes. <laughs> um, um, so I just want to say that. I want to say that everything that we say, that I say today, everything that Connor says on Sunday, we will unpack as a church. So for those that are visiting, I would encourage you, if something does stir in your heart or challenge you or freak you out, um, then even if you go and listen to the messages that we will be unfolding in the days to come, I believe this message will transform you. I believe this message is the gospel, and I believe that it's very uh, rarely preached in its full, undiluted form, um, because it scares a lot of us. Um, but it is all Jesus, and, um, and it's time. The church is rising um, for us to, to hear and to walk in the fullness of what Christ paid on the cross. Amen. Uh, the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. What the lamb did today, and I, don't, I normally traditionally, you know, we can we look at some stuff, uh, just know that that was not a normal death. Just know that. That's not a normal death. That was not just, hey, quite a bad thing they did there, they did. No, what happened to him was way more than just, your other guys got crucified. What they did to Jesus... It was because it was symbolically something way bigger that would culminate in a point in time that would separate before and after. Amen. And we live in the after, which is so awesome, so it's good that we find out about the after. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPads or iPhones or whatever you've got, um, hopefully you've got something that can access the Word of God. I just want to quickly go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, let me just read from verse uh, 15. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, do your best to present yourself to God. Do your best. Church, my heart's desire for every single one of us is for us to do our best, to present ourselves, to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly, I'm reading out the ESV, it says, handling the word of truth. It's a word, Greek one. I won't even try and uh, pronounce it. But what it actually means is to divide. It means actually to cut straight. So we must do our best, do our very best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is truth, and if we can rightly hand it, so handle it so, and rightly divide. And so this morning I want to just share something about the truth and try and rightfully divide it. And I also want us to just quickly go to Romans chapter 1. Um, a scripture that's been uh, quoted and uh, said a lot from the pulpit, but I do believe a lot of the time we've missed what Paul was trying to say there. Um, it's verse 16. It's first, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The religious mind, oh, I'm not ashamed to stand on the street corner and speak about the gospel. I'm not ashamed to, to tell people in my office about the gospel. I don't believe it has anything to do with that. 
I think that is just a lens of religion. I think that's a lens of the flesh, uh, a lens of the flesh, and it's just about all about us. I think what Paul was trying to say is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That means the gospel is so scandalous that for him to preach it in the day that he did was scandalous. And he said, I'm not ashamed to say this. In the midst of the most religious environment of a Jewish environment that was so traditional, so all about works, at this gospel. Why do I say that? Because if you just read the verses in its context. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. That's all of us. Why is he not ashamed? He's not ashamed because it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. From faith for faith. If we as the church can catch God's heart right now, is He wants His people to be people that rise up in faith. I'm not talking about a tool in your belt that helps you get your new car or your promotion, your job. I'm talking about a faith that the Bible is talking about. A faith that was delayed and delayed and delayed. And then it says, the law was a guardian until faith came. Faith came. I'm not talking about you being the ability to sit on that chair and having the faith to believe it won't break. I'm talking about a gospel faith. I'm talking about Jesus being the author and the finisher of that faith. I'm talking about a faith that rests in a man. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness is a big thing, friends. It's a massive thing. From faith, for faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. So this morning, in a short space of time, I want to say that we need, need to rightly, rightly divide three things. It's very important if you rightly divide these, then we'll understand the gospel, understand what Jesus did. And I don't have time to unpack all of them, so I just need to drop them out, and then hopefully you'll grab the heart and the principle of God. Can I say that when God made Adam and Eve, and He said He made it was it was good. He made them perfect. It was beautiful. It was He set everything up. He'd been preaching about the garden, preaching about the tabernacle of David, just this place where God could come and dwell and uh, and talk and walk with um, His kids. He was He was building a family, a family where He could just be together. A family where they could just do stuff together and have some fun and, and um, where there was this relationship and this confidence and this love where he was truly a father. In the true sense of the word, we might have had bad examples and all of that, but if you study the word of God, you'll find out a true father loves his kids, loves to spend time with them, loves to, to walk with them and do stuff and bless them. And it's almost like a natural thing for a true father to just, what do you need? I, I want to give it to you. And it's only the devil that would come to try and pervert us from losing the essence of what it is to have a beautiful, wonderful father, right? So when we look in the garden, and, and I, don't want to, I haven't got time to go down this road too much, but it is my passion, and I hope to unpack it in the days ahead, is, is God does this supernatural thing where he creates this, this beautiful Eden environment, but he goes even further than that, and he plants this, this garden for them, puts them in the garden, and he gives them every single one of the trees, and he says... Um, 
you can eat any of them. It's almost like a, woo, you can eat any of them. Any of them are available for you to eat. But there's these two trees, and they're in the middle of the garden, and there's a tree of life. So there was, there was a freedom for you to eat of the tree of life at any time you wanted. Freedom, eat the tree of life. But then um, Genesis chapter 2, um, just maybe for the sake of being legal, let me just read a scripture. Um, but I will unpack all of this. But in verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's very important that we understand this uh, clearly, because often the, we, we skip over this part, and we go, yeah, there was a good tree and a bad tree. There was not a good tree and a bad tree. Friends, there was the tree of life. The tree of life. Think life which you can eat whenever you want to, always just eat and just eat and eat of life. And there was also this other tree, it's the tree of knowledge. It's the tree of knowledge. Everyone say it's the tree of knowledge. <laughs> knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil. Two trees. And he commands and he says, you can read it, verse um, 16, 17. And the Lord God commanded him, the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. You may surely eat of every tree. Any tree, you can eat of it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he's saying, listen, you can eat of all these trees. It's all beautiful. I planted them. They're all for you. But I'm commanding you as your father. I'm saying to you that of this tree, this tree is not good for you. This tree, this, this is not helpful don't eat from this tree. I'm telling you as your father, don't eat from this tree because if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Now, I want us just to quickly take a, a, a journey in our imaginations a little bit and just think God is forming Adam and Eve and, and what did he form and, and how old were they? This is not Adam and Eve. This is a fully grown man or woman. Because when, when they made Eve, it was, whoa, man. Right? He, she was beautiful. He was magnificent. They were a gorgeous couple. They, were, they put to shame any Hollywood stars or whatever. These guys were fantastically chiseled, muscled, magnificent. They were so beautiful. But how about this? They had zero background. They had zero experience. They had zero reference point. They just arrived. They had amnesia of anything ever being before. All they were doing was looking forward. And all they got was the word of the Lord. And when God spoke, what was their response? Their response was to believe him. Oh, this is sounding interesting. See, so they just responded in belief. They responded in faith to the word of the Lord. It was only when Satan would come and bring another voice that they would begin to question their trust and their faith in God. Did God really say and was really that his motive? Isn't this, there's something else that's missing here? And then they eat of that tree and everything 
goes left from then on, right? So we have to rightfully, rightfully divide these two trees. We have to understand that Adam and Eve were not, we don't see it anywhere, we're not given a whole bunch of things and requirements. Adam, you have to wake up at five, you, you have to go and read the garden manual, you have to now dig in the garden, you have to make sure, I want you picking the fruit at a certain time, I want you to go, I will be in the garden in this time, if you're five minutes late, sorry for you, I will leave. Yet they were comfortable and moving around in his presence. Now nobody can move and stand in the presence of the Lord unless they are righteous. So righteousness is a massive deal. It's a massive deal because we stand before him in his presence and operate only because we're righteous. So they were just doing that what? Because they were doing something? Or just because they were believing something? See, if you catch this, this is the essence. You've got to divide these two trees. And it's why when Jesus came back, he came back to restore what? Life. Because he, he said, God said to Adam and Eve that if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. There was a spiritual death. What is death? It's a separation from God. They died a death inside of them, even though they carried on breathing. Biologically, they continued. Um, psychologically, they continued in their brains and what have you. But they died spiritually inside of them. And when they died spiritually, friends, that changed everything. They got separated from who God is. That's why we don't preach it much anymore, but let me just encourage you with this. That is what eternal hell is. Eternal hell is a separation for eternity from love. A separation from God. That should, that should so challenge my heart that I don't want anybody, because it's the same heart as God. He said, listen, I'm not slow as you might think, but my heart is that none. I made this fraught place for Satan and his angels. I don't make it for man. But thousands and thousands and thousands will end up there unless they receive Jesus Christ and have a transformation. So, so we've got to rightly divide these two trees. Let me just say that. But then we carry on the Bible. God's trying to kind of explain to us. Give me a heads up on, on time. Okay. Um, he's trying to explain to us this concept of who he actually is. Because can I say, God has had a raw deal from the very beginning because Satan, um, he misunderstood who God was right from the beginning. He's totally... Uh, constantly confused and misunderstood, but he is so in inherently evil that he will do everything he can for you to get a wrong understanding of this incredible loving father, because God is love. He's not, he do, he's not does some nice loving things. He is love. So, I mean, it's like, oh, I don't know. I, I was just made that when that word comes, I go, oh, that's cuddly. I'm drawn to love. I want to be loved. I want to be in love. And Satan will never, ever again. So he will make sure that as best he can for you to lose this understanding. So God's trying to show us. So that's why we've got this beautiful Bible and the word of the Lord and the journey and the timeline of God to explain to us his plan. So what happens is God comes along and you've got um, Abraham, who's an Iraqi idol worshiper, pagan, knows nothing about God, done nothing for God, uh, doesn't care about God, wouldn't even know what he's talking about. He's on his own thing, making his own little idols, doing his own little humdi humdis, right? 
God comes along, breaks into his life, breaks into his life and says, Abraham, yes. He goes, I, I, now he doesn't say to him, Abraham, first I want to teach you and train you about what you need to do and what righteousness is about. And this is what, how you've got to do this and fix this and sort this out and blah. He just says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. He begins to declare and speak his promises over Abraham. Abraham, this arbitrary individual, right? And then Abraham turns around and looks at God and goes, he, God says, do you believe? He goes, yeah, I believe. I believe what you're saying. It's kind of like Adam and Eve, doesn't it? He says, I believe, and God says, okay, that, I'm going to count that to you as righteousness. And then Abraham's going along, and he's just believing God. His life is not too clever, right? He's got, a, got an awesome wife, very gorgeous wife, um, got to walk, go through some, some countries where it's dangerous to have a gorgeous wife because the, the main dude, the king and what have you, he, he snaps him up quickly and kills the husbands so that there's no... So Abraham goes, hold on a minute. So the king, he goes through a particular region and the king goes, um, whew, that's very nice. Who's that? And he goes, that's my sister. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have her for my harem and, and, uh, or harem or however you want to harem it. Um, he... And he takes him in. But before he can actually do anything, what does God do? Claps him. Not Abraham. Claps him. He has to go back to Abraham and say, what are you? Are you mental? Are you mad? You've given me, this is your wife. He's freaking out. Abraham's going, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's, uh, it's just me. I'm, 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 you know, I make mistakes. And then he goes off, how's it, God? Now, I'm stretching a little bit because I'm trying to, Get you to understand a principle, the heart of God. And so they journey, and they're journeying, and, and God is, is constantly communing and, and loving and wanting to spend time with man. And as he does, here, my heart here, Abraham becomes a friend of God. Abraham slowly starts to change and lose his identity as some pagan wally. He starts to become a friend of God. He starts to become somebody that God can minister to, somebody that God could put in a coma, make a covenant with. And my Bible says that Abraham is the father of my faith. If he's the father of my faith, he fathered, then I want to know that faith because that's the same faith that I need to have. And now this is all Scripture. I'm actually just preaching, but I'm preaching Scripture. See, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith? You go, that's just madness. That's a silly comment. I mean, everybody, it's, it's, it's the church. Aren't we all people of faith? What faith was he talking about? He's talking about I'm the author and the perfect and finisher of this faith that I'm talking about. A man who would put his complete dependence, trust, conviction, belief totally in me. Because he finds himself in the new covenant in Christ. See, there's a journey here that we're going along quite quickly, maybe um, too quickly. But maybe, um, let, me, let me just say this quickly so I can move on to the, the next point. It's just, in the garden, you've got the tree of life and you've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm not against knowledge. Knowledge is, is wonderful. 
Um, I am against man thinking that he can obtain knowledge uh, to make the decisions to do whatever he needs to do. I'm against that. I'm also against man competing for good and evil because this tree, what it really depicted was um, not a case of, of, of that man wouldn't do evil, but that he could do good to outweigh the evil. Or there was stuff that he could do that would fix or sort out or, or, or correct the evil. Right? But what happens inherently in that moment is that here's Jesus who's saying, just you trust in me, you can eat from me the tree of life. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's it saying? It's rooted, its very roots go down into one simple core understanding, and that's called self-righteousness. I can do this thing myself. If you eat this, God's not telling you the truth. If you eat of this, don't you worry, you won't die. You'll become like God. Well, he already was like God, because he's made in his image. But the enemy will always try and say, if you go this route, self-righteousness, there are only two kinds of righteousness, God-righteousness, self-righteousness, two trees, God-righteousness, self-righteousness. So it's the choice that was given to man, and man said, I'll choose this way. So now man's going along by this choice, going along merrily in his heart and in his life, and let's go to Romans chapter 5. While we're just finding Romans chapter 5, may I just say this too? If you go in your Bible, I think it's in um, Matthew chapter 5, um, around I think verse 20, you will see that um, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will by no, no means enter the kingdom of God. God's righteousness and self righteousness. Jesus and Pharisees. Anyway, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. Um, because I want to I introduce a concept here very quickly uh, this morning and just simply say this. Say, um, for, many of us, why do, for many of us, why do we think God introduced the law? Because there was a journey all the way to Moses. And then God introduced the law. If we study, and we will, but for the sake of time, that whole journey, we'll jump quickly to Moses. Um, what was God's plan or God's purpose in introducing the law? For most people, they will say, well, man was very naughty. Um, that's why God had to have the flood and all this. He was like, he was very uh, bent and going in a certain direction. So God brought in the law to help them get back on track and back to uh, operating the way they should be operating. Right? See, a lot of the church not. A lot of the church thinks that. So let's, let's, let's go here quickly. Um, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death, spiritual death, through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay, let's just unpack that very, very quickly. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So what the Bible does is it shares an understanding with us of God's righteousness and self-righteousness. And that you cannot be in His presence, have a relationship with Him, and have a journey of relationship with Him without being righteous. So it's a huge thing. This is a vital 
part of the journey of him uh, with us. So in the garden, he was with Adam and Eve. Oops, it so surprised them. Gee whiz, they actually chose the self-righteous one. And No, it didn't surprise him. Um, he already had a plan in place. That's why Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, to fix this, right? So when we understand the Scripture now, we suddenly realize, hold on a minute, the Bible is now sharing, is introducing another concept that there are two Adams. There are two federal heads of mankind. There is Adam who's, who's in charge and the federal head of mankind. He's the first. That's why when the people say, oh, well, God, you know, Adam and Eve, um, I have full confidence in Adam, Adam and Eve's ability to procreate and to multiply. Um, but some people think, no, God made some other people as well. No, he didn't. There's only one federal head. That's Adam. Everything came through Adam and Eve. They were incredibly supernaturally anointed and prolific in um, obeying and being obedient to be fruitful and to multiply, right? Um, but therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So sin entered through one man. So what happened was sin came through Adam uh, um, when in the garden. And when sin came through Adam in the garden, so then sin now came to all men. So actually, when Jesus died on the cross, the first and foremost thing he was dying for was for first Adam, right? And then from then on, so Adam had the opportunity where he experienced, man, 900 and something years to think about this. Um, he experienced walking in, in fullness of relationship with God, in righteousness with God, and then losing it and walking spiritually dead. But every single one of us after that never got the opportunity. We were born spiritually dead. Every single person who is born naturally is born spiritually dead, right? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death came in through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So law was in the world, death came in because of sin, but sin is not counted while there is no law. You have to understand this. So there's no law, sin is in the world, death is obviously working, but it's not counted. So they don't know that they're spiritually dead. Follow my train of thought here. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So the sinning that was going on now was not like the sin of, I don't have time this morning to unpack that, but we will unpack it. Not the same as, as Adam, but now everybody was sinning because of Adam, because they were born through Adam, and, uh, and then Adam was a type of the one who was to come. That's very interesting, because you can sit here today and you can go, Adam was a type. No, he sinned. He was, he was naughty. He did a whole bunch of stuff. How's Jesus a type? Um, because he was sinless, and good question. I'm going to unpack it for you. So, um, So, that was very nice. Um, <laughs> so, first Adam, 
The Bible talks about a first Adam and last Adam or second Adam. Second Adam or last Adam, okay? We'll, 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 um, but just trust me on that. First Adam, um, is, he came into this world by birth, uh, by flesh, by natural, and he's about self. He picked from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The second or last Adam, you also can step into the second or last Adam by birth. But spiritual birth, and also not by self, but by faith. First Adam, second Adam, very different, right? Let me just flick your hands back to... um, uh, Romans 4, just, I, 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 just, I think I could stop here and just press this. Uh, let me find it. Uh, verse 15. Um, Romans chapter 4, how are we doing? Ten minutes. Okay. Um, this verse 15. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. But the law brings wrath. Okay? Hold, hold that in your head. And just quickly jump to, um, uh, back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Romans chapter 5 verse 20, it says, Now the law came in to make the people of God more righteous, and for them to behave and to do things that are pleasing and right before the Lord. If you've got that translation, you need to come and see me. <laughs> that would be my translation. <laughs> now the law came in to increase the trespass. Isn't that interesting? The law came in to increase the trespass. If you, if you wanted even more scripture... Uh, if you jump across to Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 5 says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. If you just go down a little bit further... Verse 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means, yet it has not been, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And in verse 7 it says, For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So here's a very interesting concept. God brings in the law through Moses. The reason why he brings in the law is not so that the people can all get their lives in order and correct. The reason why he brings in the law is so that it can stir up sin inside of them so they can know that they have need of a Savior. Because up till Moses, there was no law. And because there was no law, there was no transgression. And they did not know that they were spiritually dead and in need of a Savior. So the law comes in to actually make them sin more. It arouses sin. Sin gets on the increase. They suddenly realize, hold on a minute, flip, we are not so good. And so it's pointing all the way to Jesus. 
But what happens over time is that, for the sake of, of, of a journey very quickly, what happens over time is that man comes in and he's so scared. That's Connor shared this many times. If you go and study it with Moses, God's plan and purpose for Moses was he went up the mountain, he encountered God, and his desire was that everybody would now come and encounter him, and he would speak to them, and they would have this relationship. The people of God, number one, said, no, no, we're not going to go up. They were too scared. They had a wrong concept of God. They thought God was going to cook them. Um, it probably had something to do with the lightning and thunder and peals of thunder. It's probably something to do with that, but um, the reality is they thought God was going to cook them, but then also what they did do, um, which was still inside of their hearts, is they said, you you find out from God, and you come down and tell me, and we'll do it. Still hadn't got the concept. You and I cannot do it. No matter what God says. God, to say whatever he wants, I'm going to go before him and say, no, I can't do it. And that is the right answer. Tick, ping, ching, you win the prize. Instead of saying, no, I can do it. And that's what the church has done for years and years and years. No, I can do it. Just tell me what I need to do. No, wrong answer. Bing. I must have faith in Jesus Christ. So, where was I? I don't even know. Um, so, we've got an understanding of 520. Okay, we've got an understanding of, uh, of why the law. The law came to expose who we are, Right? And it was, um, it was there to, to make us look for a Savior and see Jesus and, uh, and understand and know that we were desperately in need of Jesus, right? What happens, though, is over time, of that period of time, the, the, the religious mind started to uh, dilute the law. Because you see, man cannot obey the law. So the best way I can do is let me dilute it. Let me make it very simple, much easier. Break it down. So he broke it down and he said, um, you know what? Uh, um, uh, Thou shalt not kill. I have never killed anybody in my entire life. I am a pharisaical of note. <laughs> and Jesus comes along and starts to preach Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what is he doing? He's not raising the standard. He's just giving you the standard. He says, yeah, yeah, okay, so you think, you, you got it. Ah, I've never killed anybody. He says, if you think it. Ah, because man looks on the outward, but I'm busy looking on the heart. Paul would go on in Romans 7 to say, oh, the law had exposed the covetousness, exposed in my heart. I was out there, outwardly, whoo, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, baby. I got it all together. In my heart, I was a cooked skabenga. And so that's what's happening. People that are under the law, people that are under the law, I'll tell you, you'll see, you'll know people under the law. You'll see, they cook skabengas. They've put stuff that's all under the carpet. It's been covered. It's not been removed. It's been covered. Because under the law, I dare not tell you. I, I, I stand before you. You dare not know. No. Let me hide it. Let me just cover it up. Let me pretend. But in Jesus and grace, friends, he doesn't, we don't have to cover anything because he removes stuff. Right? Oh, wish. Let me just quickly give you that analogy. If you look at Paul, Paul under the law, he says a Pharisee of, of note. So this is a guy who was the poster boy of the law, right? Fantastic, Paul. Let's look at Paul's life. Angry, bitter, judging, persecuting, nailing, put them in jail. Dude. Whoa, beautiful poster boy, right? Then Paul encounters Jesus and is transformed. And then you see what's Paul's life. 
It's a laid-down lover of God. He will sacrifice anything. He will weep and cry for individuals. He will do anything in his life. He will even give up salvation and spend eternity in hell for his Jewish brothers. That's in Jesus. And when you get people that don't understand the gospel, and they try and mix this thing up because they water it all down. So you can only mix law and grace when you water down law. Then law and grace can all mix. Those people inherently, they're angry, man. They're judgmental. When you see those kind of things happen, just go, shame. Let me pray for grace of God to come upon that person. And invariably, there's something hidden there. And God's not in the business of trying to expose anything. He's in the business of trying to take something away. If we, if we could just understand that, I'm not going to get to it this morning. Oh, well. Bless my soul. How can I wrap this up, Lord? Oh, okay. Uh, Romans chapter 5. I have too many words for my mouth. It doesn't... I need a speed... I need one of those phones. I can just put it faster. Okay, you got it? Okay. Okay, so... So then it says here, not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. And we'll read from verse 15 down to 20 and I'll land. But the free gift is not like the trespass. I love this. It's not like the trespass. There's a free gift here. He's now got us going on this free gift. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation or death. But the free gift following many trespasses, Adam sinned once. Boom! Separation from God. Dead. Mankind sinned many, 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 many times. But God came. As Adam sinned and was separated in one act, even in many acts, the grace of God comes to liberate us and free us. That's what he's saying. Um, following one trip brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, just another good word, abundance of grace, grant you preach like too much grace, the abundance of grace, Ephesians 1, the riches of grace, The abundance of grace, this is just, it is abundance, the abundance of grace, uh, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So there is an answer that today we want to celebrate, is that Jesus Christ came to die and to give us this free gift of righteousness so that we can what? Get through life, just get our head above water, just struggle along, make sure we just hang in there and uh, just keep pushing through. No, the Bible says that the answer is to reign in life. There is only one reason why we don't reign in life, and that's because we don't fully understand and walk in the belief of what the gospel is all about. We need to get free from all the strongholds that are robbing us from reigning in life. Amen? So he wants us to reign in life. Therefore, 
As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This blows apart anything of this silly um, ideas over the years where religious minds kind of go, well, I don't believe that Jesus could come and one act of one man could uh, walk cause all of us to get all our sins forgiven and everything, act of one man. Well, do you believe the act of one man caused all of us to fall? See, it leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It doesn't matter what you've done and all the stuff that you've done, where, whatever horrific sin or sins that you've done, grace abounded even more. God was happy to look at and take care of every single bit of sin. So that as death reigned, as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So let me, let me just wrap this up very quickly to just, um, so we've, we've looked at, at, at um, two trees, we've looked at uh, two atoms, um, well we haven't quite finished looking at two, two atoms because we haven't got a chance to look at the second atom, which is Jesus. But in the Bible there's also, um, there's two husbands, Romans chapter 7, two husbands, there's the law as a husband and there's Jesus. And it says, while you married to the law, you can't be with anyone else. That would be adultery. So you've got to stay married to the law. So yeah, you've got the law. Now the Bible makes it very clear and easy for us. It just says, what happened in, in, in John chapter 1 is the law was given. See, the law cannot help you. It's, 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 it's of no help whatsoever. All it does is expose your faults. So it is a horrible husband. As a husband, they won't lift a finger to help his wife um, and will just point out her faults constantly. You're like a dripping tap, man. That's a horrible, horrible uh, husband to have. And now we were under this, this, until the appointed time, until faith came. That's a beautiful topic on its own. But the reality is I'm stuck here and I can't. If I, if I have another husband, it's adultery. If I have another lover, it's adultery. So I'm stuck here and like, well, and there's nothing I can do. I'm stuck, Lord. I don't know what to do. He says, I got it. So he comes and he comes and he dies and he's perfect in every single way and he takes care of every single uh, requirement of the law. He says, I'll come. I'm not going to do away with the law. I'm not going to abolish the law. I'm going to fulfill the law. So what happens now is the law is still around. The law is not there for you and I. The law is there for the unsaved who have not got a revelation of Jesus Christ. So they are getting convicted because it's pointing them to Jesus, right? So when God died on the cross, when he didn't do away with the law, he fulfilled the law. But now I've got a man who's fulfilled the law. And he's saying, because I've fulfilled the law, and I go and die now on your behalf for sin, because the wages of sin is death, I have to fulfill the law. We have to die. He says, you all now will die with me. So then he says, you've got this horrible husband, this horrible husband who just picks on you and just, just always nagging at you, exposing you and everything. And he says, now what's going to happen is you are going to die. Whew, so good. What happens? 
if, if your husband is dead, you can marry again. So Jesus says, okay, you die, now you're raised again, you can marry me. Now I'm raised again. It's all in, in Romans 7, we'll, you'll get there. So now I'm married to Christ. I'm completely new here. Now I have a person who loves me, a person who's for me all the time, who cares about me, who's fulfilled the whole law and all the requirements. Oh no, but this is granted. Um, yes, so when we get saved and God's done all of that, now from that point on, now we have to journey and um, we've got to try and do this thing. Uh, how are we supposed to do this thing? No, well, you know, you've now got to, you know, the Holy Spirit will help us, but we've now got to do this thing ourselves. No, you've gone back to the wrong tree again. Sounds like you went back to the old husband. Because you've got to believe this, and I'll drop this as a clanger, and then we will, I'll leave it to Connor. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. Uh, Jesus comes and he breaks into time. And he breaks into time, he's perfect, and then he dies on our behalf. And the Bible says not only did he take away our sin, he became sin. That just freaks me out, I'm not even going to go there this morning. He became sin. Not just he just took your sin, he became sin. Friends, when, when God says he deals with sin, and we are not light on sin, God is very heavy on righteousness. You cannot be in his presence if you're sinning. Otherwise, you get kicked out of his presence. I can feel it in the spirit. Woo! That was a cow that's going, woof. And the reality is we don't even know when we sin and how much we sin. Whatever's not a faith is sin. Right? So we're either going to be schizophrenic Christians, going to be in his presence, out of his presence, in his presence, out of his presence, separated from him, back in with him, separated again. Oh, God, I thought I was in now. No, you're not. You're out. What did I do? I don't know if I'm in or out. God, help me. So God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to break into time, and I'm going to take care of all of your sin once for all. All of your sin. Everything. I'm not just going to just take care of sin. I'm not just going to cover it up. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to become it so that I can remove it. You understand about the cross? What was happening to Jesus? He was marred beyond recognition. You couldn't even know he was a human being. He was smashed. By the wrath of God because of sin, friends. I'm not soft on sin. I am mightily for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to get rid of your sin today, you cannot be sin conscious. You have to be Christ conscious. You cannot believe that in your own strength, own abilities, or things, friends, you'll be able to conquer the sin that's in your life. The only way you'll conquer the sin in your life is looking unto Jesus. Keeping your focus on Him because godly repent, godly sorrow, the and I, this stirs me up godly sorrow friends leads you to stop doing what you're doing no the Bible does not say that you can go read it 2 Corinthians 7 godly sorrow leads you to what? repentance what is repentance? metanoia is the Greek word metanoia it means to change the way you think Godly sorrow means change the way you think. You want to deal with sin, you need to come with godly sorrow before the Lord. I am so sorry, I'm for confession. I'm for going before the Lord and confessing and say, God, I just did this thing again. I'm so sorry, that's not who I am. I have godly sorrow. It's leading me to what? Repentance, change the way I think. 
That's not me. Who am I? Let me get the word of God. This is who I am. This is what God's called me to do. I'm now changing my understanding and my thinking. Repent. Re, go back to pent, the highest place, like a penthouse. Go back to the highest place, to what the word of God says. That's what repentance means, friends. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, listen, I'm removing your sin. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? If I had to pick one of you and say, you be west today and you be east, you can go stand there and you have to keep going. How far is the west? I don't know. Keep going because there's west more behind you. How far is east? I don't know. Keep going because there's east behind you. There isn't a point. If you stop, there's still more. That's as far as he removes our sin, friends. That's Isaiah 54. God says, I will no longer be angry with you. Why? Because sin has been removed. It's gone, friends. It's disappeared. It's taken away. It's not there anymore. It's not for us to live in a place of guilt, condemnation, and shame. The gospel came to take all of those things away. Why? Because it's been removed. Oh, but come on, what happens if I do sin? If I do sin, 1 John chapter 2 tells me that I have an advocate with the Father. And my advocate's blimmin' good. He's never lost a case in his life. He's blinking, blinking good. And he's free. He just stands there and he says, Lord, look at this. Woo! Perfect life. Perfect. You see, when you bring a sacrifice before the Lord, what is the priest inspecting? Not you. He inspects the sacrifice. Is that lamb? There you go, one squinky eye, funny ear. So what does God do? He inspects the lamb. I'm in trouble if the lamb is wonky. But I am so secure, the lamb will never be wonky. Amen. Amen. And that's the reality, friends, of what we've got to walk into now. We've got to say, God, you've redeemed me into this beautiful place. Where sin, you know, I was telling Connor this morning too, God captured my heart again. Hebrews chapter 10, you can go read it there. It's talking about the, the priests and that, and they used to sacrifice all the time. Uh, why? Because it, it couldn't remove sin. So it's kept covering it. So now they're sacrificing all the time. But it says something interesting there. It says, because if it had been able to remove the sin, then there would be no consciousness of sin. And the enemy goes, no, that's dangerous. Let me make sure they don't catch this incredible truth. That Jesus Christ, that's the whole of Hebrews 10, Jesus Christ came once and for all. He didn't cover sin. He took away sin. So what happens when you take away sin? Then he removes sin consciousness. You might be sitting here this morning carrying things in your life. I am as vehemently for you to deal with those things and to get them out of your life as you might be. But I want to tell you right now, you may have tried in all your life. You may have put things in place. You may have put people around you. You may have put family. You could put every single control that you can ever think of to help you and stop you and, and identify and study all the trigger points and anything and everything that might just help you with this thing. And you will fail time and time and time and time again. And I cannot help you. But I can give you the gospel, and I can say the way that you deal with that is not a sin consciousness. It's a Christ consciousness. As I begin to look to him, as I walk in who he is, so the reality is now I see for who he is. I'm so uh, moved by him. I'm so in love with him that I find myself looking over my shoulder at the trail behind me, 
Oh, those 10 o'clocks, those 11 o'clocks at night, not happening anymore. I wonder why. Because it's very hard to sing to Jesus. Oh, you're so awesome. Thank you for what you did today. Oh, you healed me. You set me free. Oh, you gave me that opportunity, whatever, in the same time. Just hold it one second there. I just want to go over people on the computer. See, this is the way the gospel actually is outworked and lived. And so we want to unpack this. This is the gospel. That's why Paul's not ashamed of it. It's like, because it's rooted in one thing, friends. It's rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based on works. It's not based on doing something. You don't do something. You have to believe God, just like Adam and Eve did. Whatever God says. So when God speaks in his word and says, Thus saith the Lord, boom, 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 whatever. We have to trust and believe him and have a confidence in that. And when we do that and we trust him, then he outworks in our life all that needs to be done. Because he's doing it, not me. That's the key. Whoops. Let the secret out. Don't tell anyone. He's doing everything. When I put my life in Christ, he's doing everything. He is my faith. You can go read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm landing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 30. It says, Jesus became to me wisdom. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Even my sanctification, Jesus is my sanctification. He's redeeming. He's sanctifying. He's my wisdom. I go to him. It doesn't matter all my fancy degrees that I've got. I go to him. I always go to him. And he can pull from whatever he's given me. Amen? Shall we stand? Now, I want to just quickly pray over us, and then we can go and have supper. No, I didn't preach that long. No. Um, I, want to, I want to just, I want to say this. I want to say a large part, <laughs> I won't say all, a large part of what I've preached is in the Bible. And um, I know for some of it's like, whoa, I need to actually study that more. We're going to unpack this for, for all of you. But I want, you to, I want you to know something today. I want you to know from 24-7, from our hearts, from the eldership's hearts. A lot of the time when the gospel is preached uh, with this kind of um, intense clarity, um, there's always this danger. And, uh, and if you study in, in, in Romans, you'll see when, when um, Paul finishes uh, chapter 5, which we were reading, what's the first verse of chapter 6? It says, what then shall we sin? See, if you preach this gospel right, there's got to be a question that's asked. What then? Shall we just sin? Hey, this sounds brilliant. We can just go and sin. No, he says, God forbid. And he unpacks why we should not sin. I'm not for sin, church. I I believe that this is the way that we get rid of sin. I'm for the, the, the church finally being free because they're obeying the voice of the Lord. I'm for the church being yielded and filled with Holy Spirit and being led by Holy Spirit. I didn't, we haven't even got to it, but Titus 2 verse 14 says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. If you fully understand grace and you accept grace and, and, and embrace grace, it'll teach you how to say no to ungodliness. Not say yes to it. You're definitely not saved if you're trying to figure out how much you can sin and get away with it. So I'm not, that's not what I'm advocating this morning. What I'm advocating is to be obedient to the will of God and His gospel and to preach His gospel rightly because then it brings the power of salvation. I believe this morning the power of salvation is right here in this room because the gospel has been preached with clarity. 
I believe many people come to churches and they sit there under the weight of condemnation and guilt, of the weight of judgment, of the weight of people. And they, even if they're not, they think they're being judged, they're being condemned. But it goes on, the Bible goes on in Romans 8 to say, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ came to take away condemnation, guilt, and shame. Christ came to set you free. Christ came to have a relationship because he loves you so much more than you'll ever know. Christ came because he understood you not only needed to be reconciled, that's what happens on Friday, the death is a reconciliation back to the Father. You not only needed to be reconciled, but you also, you needed the empowerment to live in a place of pleasing and enjoying each other and, and loving each other. And that's why he gave us Holy Spirit. It is far better that I go, because I can give you Holy Spirit. 